I had to attend a funeral recently. I was sitting a few rows from the front, and a man who was paying tribute to the deceased read John 14, verse 1 to 6. That's the passage that ends with Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He then proceeded to tell us that the deceased woman was in heaven, because she was a very kind person. She was kind to children and kind to small animals, and surely when she stood at the so-called pearly gates, she would be welcomed in because of her kindness. Now that's dark paganism. Welcome to our Catechism class. It's a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help you learn Christian doctrine with a warm and practical application. Each lesson has its own study guide, and the web link to find that guide can be found in the episode notes. Okay, let's start the lesson. Our catechism is divided into three parts. The first part is our guilt before God because of our sin and our rebellion against God. The second part is God's grace, his unmerited favour, whereby he saves us undeserving people through the work of Christ our Saviour alone, who by his sinless life and atoning death has completely satisfied God's justice has cleansed us from our sin and clothed us in his righteousness and brought us back into fellowship with our Creator. Then in the third and last section, the Catechist deals with our gratitude, how we will live for Christ in this world. Thankful lives that demonstrate just how grateful we are for our deliverance, guilt, grace and gratitude. Lord's Day 32 begins that third section, living a humble, thankful, repentant Christian life. Or just simply to put it like this, living for Jesus. You're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast with Bob McAvoy. Our study of the Catechism today takes us into an area of our Christian faith where there is some confusion among people who claim to be Christians, and yet one where we need absolute clarity. It's the question of works. Do works save us? Now what seems to be the problem? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us that we are saved by grace alone. In Ephesians 2 and verse 8 he says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. But the Apostle James then, in James chapter 2 and verse 14, tells us that faith without works is dead. He says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and have not works, can faith save him? 
Well, at first, when we read those two verses and place them side by side, there certainly seems to be a contradiction. Paul is telling us that our works are of no value in our salvation. James telling us that we cannot be saved without our works. However, if we read on down the text in James, we discover that what he wrote in verse 14 is highly qualified and highly explained in verse 18. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. So where Paul is writing about how we are saved, how redemption is applied to our lives, James is writing about the outworking of that redemption in our daily life, a changed attitude to others who live with us. Thankfully, our instructor in the Heidelberg Catechism deals with all these matters in question 86. And as usual, he does so in an easy-to-read and easy-to-understand manner. He asks us this question. Since then, we are redeemed from our misery by grace through Christ. Without any merit of ours, why must we do good works? And the answer is, because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit after his own image, that with our whole life we show ourselves thankful to God for his blessing, and that he be glorified through us, that also that we ourselves may be assured by our faith by the fruits thereof. So the Catechist offers four main reasons why a Christian must do good works. And firstly, that's because at redemption we have been renewed by the Holy Spirit. Catechist says, because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit after his own image, that with our whole life we show ourselves thankful to God for his blessing. In other words, we have new life in Christ. We have a new spirit within us. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We're transformed. Of course, we're still tempted. Of course, sometimes we still fail and fall, and sometimes we sin more often than we want to. But when we do, we're sorrowful and we repent and we seek forgiveness because our minds and our emotions have been totally renewed in Christ. And we have the help of the indwelling Holy Spirit, sanctifying us, making us more Christ-like, preparing us for heaven. That's the key to understanding the seeming divergence between James and Paul. The Catechist explains, the fact that the Holy Spirit applies Christ's saving work within us will have transforming effects upon us. It will make us always thankful to God for his redeeming work and for every blessing that he has so lavishly poured upon us. We live for him because he died for us. Well, the second reason we do good works is because our Christian lives are to bring glory to God. The Catechist again. And that he be glorified through us. When we looked at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, 
in our sermon series, we looked at this idea of glory. And we saw that God's glory is the motivating factor in our Christian lives. We live our lives, we live our everyday lives, our family lives, our professional lives, our leisure, our moral, our ethical standards, is all to be for the glory of God. After all, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31 Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. I heard that J.S. Bach, the great composer, said, All music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Everything that we do, all of our lives must be pleasing to God. And that in itself should cause others to praise and glorify him too. Let's do a Bible reading. Open your Bible now at Second Peter chapter 1 and we're going to read from verse 4 down to verse 11. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 4 and verse 11. Pause the recording for a few moments while you look that up. So let's read together Second Peter 1 and verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We do good works because in doing good works, our Christian lives bring glory to God. Well, the third reason for doing good works is because we gain assurance from our new inclination, from our changed life, to do what is good. The Catechist says, Then also that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by the fruits thereof. Romans chapter 7 and verse 4 says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that ye should bring forth fruit unto God. How many times have you heard Matthew 7 and 20? Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. It's the words of Jesus. Other people know us by the outworking of our faith. But does that rule and principle not apply to ourselves also? 
Does the practical living of the Christian life not help the Christian also to recognise Christ dwelling within himself or herself? The evidence of a new changed life, new interests, new company, new desires, new pleasures. It's an interesting effect of our works. As we live out our redemption in a practical manner before others, surely our confidence in our own faith and salvation will grow. The more we serve others as Christ served us, the more we will bear the fruits of repentance. And seeing those fruits grow and bless others will assure us that we have changed lives, that we have been with Jesus. Let's make sure, though, that we get those aspects of the Christian life in the correct order. Louis Burkhoff wrote, According to Scripture, repentance is holy and inward act and should not be confounded with the change of life that proceeds from it. Confession of sin and reparation of wrongs are fruits of repentance. Now, without those fruits, we must examine our hearts and see if we truly are in Christ, if we really have repented of our sins, for the real Christian will bear fruit. And then finally, we do good works simply to be a witness to others. Again, the Catechist. And by our godly walk, win also others to Christ. Verbal witnessing to the faith is essential. We must confess Christ to all. But if our works are rotten, who's going to believe that we have been in any way changed or transformed by Christ? James 2 and 15 to 17. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, and notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. So we are to do good to all men. Paul agrees with James. He writes in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. But now hold on a wee minute. What are these good works that are to characterise the Christian life? Should I give all my possessions away and live like a hermit? That was the view of good works that brought about the monastic system. This idea of devoting one's entire life to the service of God. But that's not how Paul describes good works when he writes to the Ephesians. Having warned us in Ephesians chapter 2 that good works cannot save, he then says in Ephesians 2 and 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Good works is why we were made. And then in the following chapters, he goes on to outline what these good works are. Things like this. Be a good church member. Be a good husband or a good wife. Be a good parent. Be an obedient child. Be a good boss. Be a good employee. And just let everyone see that whatever you are doing, you are doing it for the Lord Jesus. Good works is not to shut yourself off from the world. Good works is not to be some kind of a Christian superhero. Good works is to live your ordinary life humbly and in a manner 
that is pleasing to the Lord. Here's that famous verse from Micah 6 and verse 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.